What's going on, guys? AJ here, back again with another episode of the E1B2 Collective Podcast. I'm going to make this short, sweet, and to the point. This is one of the best recordings that I've ever made. Today's episode, you guys, was very, very, very operational, very tactical, and very direct. This is something that is not a high-level theoretical conversation. We got very practical, and I really, really appreciated this conversation. Today's guest really brought it, guys, so enjoy another episode of Let's Talk Startups. So, Charlotte, I really appreciate you joining today's podcast. Uh, like I literally just told you seven seconds ago, um, I really don't have too much too much structure to this. It's really laid back, and so I appreciate you uh, actually being open to that format. I've been I've been actually asking a lot of people to join the the podcast as of late, and there's been this like a uh, surge of of super structure. And I'm not a super structured guy, so I appreciate you kind of ebbing and flowing with the with the the flexible nature of this and. Again, I'm just very, very grateful for you to be on this podcast today. So um, I guess do us a favor here. Sure. Um, give us your, you know, 90 second, six minute, 15 minute, whatever it takes uh, background and and uh, kind of what you're doing within 1776. And then just, again, just any other topics, themes, interesting things about you that you think uh, people should know about you. Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Charlotte Lee. I am the chief of staff at 1776. We are a nationwide collection of uh, incubators located up and down the East Coast and soon to be opening our first campus in the Midwest in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I joined the company as a campus manager, opened a downtown Philadelphia location and Uh, rather swiftly moved up the ranks, which is, uh, I have found pretty common in the startup world when you uh, sort of set your mind to it and and prove out your value, uh, particularly if you're really aligned with a leadership team. Um, There's always exciting room to grow. So I moved up into an operations role and then eventually to chief of staff, which I kind of joke is a glorified cat herder, um, particularly in these times of COVID, you know, keeping everyone on track and, and keeping track of everyone, um, making sure they're, they're being mindful of their tasks, but also that I am being mindful of them and their needs as human beings. Um, and I kind of oversee all the projects that we have running uh, at each of our locations and network-wide, just making sure we're, we're hitting those, those milestones. Um, I have a fairly untraditional uh, background when it comes to particularly my journey into, into the startup world, but also uh, generally speaking, um, I grew up in Northern California. Uh, I'm a very proud Californian. Um, and if you ever speak to other Californians, we, we always designate which north or south, which we are from. And I am from Northern California. Is that near, is that closer uh, near to San Near the San Francisco? Francisco. Yeah, I, I grew up um, about 45 minutes north of San Francisco. So if you drive north over the Golden Gate Bridge uh, into Marin County, I grew up in Novato, um, which is the northernmost city in that county, um, just before you hit uh, like Sonoma and Napa. Um, we are not as fancy as Sonoma and Napa, nor as fancy as San Francisco. We're kind of a, an adorable blemish between those two uh, amazing spaces. But um, it's, a, it's a lovely space to grow up. And uh, I think I was very lucky to grow up in a, in a very progressive space. Um, 
And I grew up in a very uh, uh, musically oriented household. Um, both my parents have some cool uh, connections to, to music from their childhood and their youth. Um, my dad actually was the drum major at UC Davis, uh, his alma mater. And um, that led me to uh, follow, rather than going to a traditional higher education uh, path, I joined a performing arts group called the Young Americans, um, which is based in Southern California. They were founded back in the 60s as a way of uh, kind of giving a, a, a different vantage point to America's youth. Um, they were essentially like the first show choir, um, but now do uh, music outreach tours. So for seven years, I was with them traveling around the world, teaching music to kids uh, as part of their uh, music outreach workshop. Um, and eventually uh, became a leader in, in the organization and I company managed a couple of tours. Uh, so at age uh, 22, I was in charge of about 40, uh, 18 to 24 year olds up and down the East Coast. And then at 23, I took a cast to Germany, um, managing all the logistics of that. And I think uh, even a little prior to that, but really that uh, experience is where I got maybe my um, honed my kind of fake it till you make it uh, uh, skill set, understanding that if you present yourself as someone who knows what they're talking about. If you speak with confidence, if you throw your shoulders back and make really good eye contact that um, generally speaking, people will take you seriously. And it's uh, what has served me very well um, in finding other opportunities as I, as I uh, moved past that organization. So I left that group, moved back to Northern California for just a minute with my best friend. And then we got, uh, a wild hair idea to move to Hawaii, um, where we spent almost a year um, slinging pizzas at California Pizza Kitchen. But um, I also had a, another job uh, managing a youth uh, theater company. So a, a, an organization that put on educational shows for students on every island uh, of Hawaii. Um, so I got to bop between the islands, which was very cool. Um, but around the 10 month mark really discovered that uh, living on a rock in the middle of the ocean was not my jam. So made my way back, uh, ended up going back to Southern California where my friend group from the Young Americans was still um, pretty centrally located um, and was lucky enough to utilize some networks um, and get into television production. And I worked um, some award shows and some competition shows and uh, a very fascinating docu-series um, starring Bob Saget. Uh, I believe it's called Strange Days with Bob Saget. Look it up. It was hilarious and awesome. Um, and again, that, that was so much of the fake to you make it, but also really um, brought about my, my true love of the hustle. I, I love working hard. Um, it's, it's something that I probably will, will never grow old of, uh, grow tired of. I, I really like having a challenge set before me and working super hard, um, hopefully with an amazing team to, to accomplish that challenge. Um, but the production world is a grind and it's pretty cutthroat. Um, and I decided, I wanted to maybe shake it up a little bit. So um, moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, where a dear friend of mine had offered me a, a place to stay while I explored that world. Um, after many months of searching, got an awesome job uh, at Sundance Film Festival. Um, and I worked the 2012 um, season of the fest 
um, in the corporate uh, relations department, which basically means that all of the incredible sponsors that help make that festival possible. Um, we would work with them to um, put on the, the parties that they would host, the activations in, in the different locations up and down Main Street, um, as well as um, their ticket packages and distributing all of the very cool swag that they would donate. It was a really awesome, very um, operation and logistic heavy uh, role. Um, but again, just like production life, festival life is a grind and, and most people bop from festival to festival and therefore are moving all around the country. Um, and although my story, as you can hear, has was leading me to do that over and over again, I, I wanted to find a place that I could kind of start to put down some roots. And the East Coast was the only part of the country I'd never really uh, explored. My mom's from Connecticut. And so um, I thought it would be interesting to give it a try out east. Um, and I landed in New York City and uh, secured a job at a very prestigious charter school called Harlem Village Academies. Um, I was the administrative manager there for three beautiful years, uh, working um, at a middle school under the, the tutelage and direction of an extraordinary principal named Jason Epting. Um, who gave me the freedom to really uh, develop that role into not just uh, jamming on the keyboard all day and taking attendance and whatnot, but um, developing some really incredible enrichment programs for our students, um, engagement for our faculty and students together to, um, you know, get their heads out of the, the incredible um, education cadence that, that obviously those students are a part of, but to, to engage as individuals and, and get to kind of the human and holistic side of um, what it means to have human connection. Um, again, that, that was fun and interesting, but uh, as the old story goes, I met a man and just fell full head over heels for this guy. Um, it was very apparent from very early on that this was the dude for me and he was in Philadelphia. So uh, not on a whim because, you know, I had done it several other times. I decided why not Philadelphia? And I moved here almost six years ago now. Um, we got married about a year and a half ago in Portland, Oregon, which is where my parents now are. Um, we live in the Germantown neighborhood. We love it here. I love him. We have an amazing dog. Um, and I, when I came to Philly, I actually uh, got a job at a startup that, was, that had an office within uh, a 1776 space. Um, at the time it was called Benjamin's Desk just here in Philadelphia. Um, and uh, worked for them for, for just almost exactly a year, maybe just over a year, um, and found a, a good time for the company and myself to transition and uh, reached out to Jen Mayer, the CEO of 1776, and said, uh, you know, do you know any companies who are looking to hire someone like me? And she said, yes, we are. Uh, so she scooped me up um, pretty quickly and that's where I've been. I've been, I've been with that company now for uh, about four and a half years. And it's been a beautiful and wild journey um, working with this company to hone in on our offerings, our mission, and, and really just supporting that, that big vision of providing growth resources and connections to anyone uh, with the entrepreneurial spirit. We really are, are a company looking to, to pull down barriers for, for anyone who might be facing them and, and hopefully help them grow a company that, that is meaningful and uh, 
and you know has real has real purpose in our in our society and that brings us up to speed <laughs> so uh, let, let me let me tell you something here uh, um i have been so first of all i'll give you a compliment everything i'm going to say is actually a great thing about you so i've been on the record to have been someone that has apologized so many times for giving me a very grandiose background <laughs> because uh and i and I, you may have broke you may have broken my record um, <laughs> i'm not looking exactly at the time but i i want to say i clocked you, you got to be at a 15 minute background with a significant context which i think is beautiful actually uh so uh yeah i just i just wanted to say that because everyone tells me that um Everyone tells me and jokes with me that my context and my background gets super cumbersome, and I found I find a lot of value in giving people the full the full the full depth of my context because I think it I think it really sums up you know who you're inevitably talking to who, and who I am and and uh, I think you would agree with that and so I just want to say thank you because you broke my record so that's uh, impressive yeah no and you know I think particularly for those people who come from a less traditional path. Um, those of us who can't, you know, put down those stakes of, I went to this undergrad, I did this, you know, postgrad or, or, or certification program or whatever it might be. Um, to your point, defining that context, I think is so valuable because it, it also gives color to those, those growth milestones that maybe aren't as traditional, but are, are so extraordinarily valuable and, and, yep. and so important in, in, in telling that story and helping someone understand, um, which is, I know one of the topics I sent you is sort of um, defining what, what makes someone quote unquote qualified for a role. Um, that was something that I, I always had a little bit of a, a hard time helping people understand that while I maybe didn't have a degree, I had a wealth of experience that, um, could provide value uh, if if given the opportunity. That's interesting. So here we are. Uh, I'm going to try to do. I always tell people that I'm not a podcaster. I am not a speaker. I am not a uh, whatever the case is. But I try to challenge channel that. And you know what? Someone actually a podcast. But last time I checked, you're like on 300 plus episodes. So what do, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I, I guess I brought that up to say this. Uh, I'm going to jump right off of that. Um, yeah. I think great podcasters do a great job of like jumping off of, of different of different touch points there. So when you talk about um, defining, you know, if someone's qualified or not and what the traditional standards are, and what that looks like, that's actually something I focus on a lot within my work uh, with Startup PX and then within, you know, when I was an internal head of people, um, over, over the last five years, you know? So if I heard you correctly, you don't have a college degree to this day, right? Correct. Interesting. So if you remember my story, I dropped out of university after my sophomore year, top of my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And uh, to this day, I've actually not gone back and got my cert uh, certification and or degree overall as well. Um, and that's been against a lot of advice that I've got from family members, friends, colleagues, whatever the case is. And I also heard you say something that was very similar to my background, which was um, a fake it till you make it. Now, if I understand this correctly, fake it till you make it the way I kind of go about it means, you know, you may not have the depth and level of experience in certain areas that others have, but you're 
your overall intrinsic desire and interest and passion and macro understanding of those areas you have. And then thus, thus you show up well, you present well, you carry yourself well, thus individuals will give you a shot to jump into those areas, even though your depth of expertise tangibly, AKA seven, eight, nine, 12 years via the resume may not be there with which like your other counterparts uh, typically have. Is that a, is that a more, you know, is that an accurate representation of what you really meant by like fake until you make it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, not having to, to, I mean, it's such like a strange kind of chicken and egg thing, right? Like you, someone says, you know, to be this, you have to have done that, but mm-hmm. I, I can't have done that unless I can be that. You know, so so presenting yourself as like, yeah, I might not already have that that level up, but I am willing to do it. I have that curiosity or I have that grit or I have that interest level. Um, And I think it's it's about, yeah, presenting yourself as someone who who, yes, to your point, might not have that experience, but has a willingness to try and a willingness Mm. to be vulnerable and fail in that trying. Um, Because I think there's something extraordinarily noble about about putting oneself out there and saying, I'm going to try this even if the whole world is going to see me fall on my face, because I believe it is worth it is worth that trial. um, And and hopefully will will pay off even if there is a stumble. And organizations if they're in the right mode, which we can get into maybe at some point in this episode, um, should embrace that operationally. And that looks like a few different ways. But for me, I think just one macro tip to listeners, like, you know, what she's alluding to is like, you know, hiring individuals or having individuals within your staff that are curious that maybe don't have that level of depth and knowledge in certain areas that you may think you need, or maybe even what you want you you want or or believe that you should have but you know those individuals will come in with a level of curiosity with a level with a level of passion with the level of drive that will inevitably turn into a significant upticks of engagement which inevitably will turn into significant upticks of going deep down rabbit holes to solve significant problems which we all know can get very much connected to, to high levels of productivity long term once they actually do master that competence and then obviously that can get connected down to the bottom line so there's a lot of there's a lot of good value in having folks like me yeah exactly right i think um you know rather than being sort of pigeonholed into uh you studied this thing and therefore you have to do this job according to that thing um being open as a as a leader as an organization to saying this person has this skill set and widening your view to say, how can those skills be applied to any role or, or a different role than maybe was, was originally envisioned? Um, you know, communication skills are important in so many roles. And so if someone is a good communicator, uh, maybe they, they could do something in, in biz dev or in sales because they're, they're great at, um, you know, speaking to the, the heart of an, of an issue or a product or, or what have you. So, um, yeah, I think it's about understanding someone's core skills and, and learning how to help them refine those through curiosity and through personal and professional development. Sit right there in that pocket for me, because that's, I'm really glad you touched on that. Um, I have, so, and I don't know if you remember this, so Within the E1B2 collective that stands for Employees First, Business Second, I have uh, Startup BX, 
I have um, Monday Anticipation, I have uh, Beyond Brand, and I have Project 2030. Those are the companies that I'm, that I'm working on. And then there's about two to three co-founders and, and team members uh, within each project. Something that's been behind the scenes, and I would love to get your, your, your point of view on and, and your background and your experience of maybe in real time, help me try to figure out how to operationalize this. Because that's really what I'm about, right? What, what, when I first got introduced to the space that we're playing in right now, whether you want to call it peep operations, whether you want to call it just operations overall, because I genuinely believe like we're, we're having more of an operational conversation, not just a people conversation, but uh, or whether we're talking about employee experience. Um, when I got involved in this space, I saw a lot of thought leaders and a lot of writers and a lot of speakers kind of talk at a macro level about things and give suggestions and advice in consulting forums at a macro level. But I never really saw too many consultants or thought leaders or even internal executives really make high level tips around employee experience uh, operational, meaning we literally go into the processes and the ways that we work or the policies that, that hold up the fort of this company and change them permanently based off of what it was previous. And now this is a new awakening that we have. And now we need to put it in place. Um, so there's this concept called beyond resume. Uh, Charlotte, I would love to get your thoughts here. And it's a lot of what you just said. A piece of it is the following. An applicant walks into an interview, right? And you figure out this individual has a phenomenal skill set of communicating, like you just said. But you realize this individual maybe doesn't fit the exact role that you initially brought them into to, to interview for. Now, what I'm suggesting, what I think you're suggesting, that interview in real time, or that CEO in real time, whoever is doing the interview, whoever's responsible for hiring that person and inevitably making the decision. In real time, what I think you're suggesting is if you're noticing certain skill sets and certain aspects about them beyond their traditional resume, that's kind of the little cheesy thing I connected to it, that there are areas in your company that you need filling and they can fill that even though they didn't inevitably initially come in for that particular role or that particular function, you're suggesting that organizations remain flexible and maybe shift and adjust to the to the applicant's reality and plug them into that slot, even though that's not the original job that they were applying for. 100%. Give us a perfect. Yeah, yeah give 100%. Me, give, me, give me a suggestion or a tip on how, on how that shows up operationally, meaning what coaching would you give to an interviewer? What would you say to a CEO to make that not just a nice to have statement that we're doing on a podcast, but a true, you know, system or process that a company stands by in the in the in the middle of an interviewing process? Mm. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, uh, I've been able I don't to, to put this. you in the spot. No, no, it's good. Um, you know, I'll, I'll 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 try to kind of riff on that. I I think I, I will caveat by saying. I understand there are some organizations where where this is not possible. There are there are Fair. some fields and industries where someone does require a, a certain skill set, or there is a very particular job um, that is carved out. Um, I think for me, it is it is uh, recognizing how skills can be uh, cultivated and and encouraged. Um, in order for someone to grow towards the role that you might need, but starting them somewhere that is going to really enhance the skills that they have now. 
Um, mm. I am about managing down and finding ways to, to support the team that I have in, in the ways that they work best. But that is not to say that I am not challenging my team all the time to achieve that next level for themselves individually um, and as a whole. And so I think if, if you are in a space um, where your team is, is nimble and flexible and supportive enough of one another, um, I have been lucky enough to, as we bring a new person in, if we were hiring, for example, someone for marketing and, and uh, perhaps part of that marketing role that we wanted was PR, but they have no experience with PR, I would maybe pull that part off and work within my leadership team to say, which one of us or couple of us could, could carry part of that PR requirement for our company for six months to a year while we train this person up and they would essentially shadow us and they would participate with mm -hmm. us. They would sit in on calls. They would, they would help maybe with some of the, you know, they would maybe help draft a press release so that they could understand what that means and what words to use and how mm -hmm. early you need to have it done and who the best person to, you know, leak it to first might be and, and what have you. And that they follow that journey um, to where you get to a point where there you, then you say, okay, you're going to take it from A to C now. You're going to do these first steps and then I will finish the job. And then you, you just add on to that uh, until not only from a skill set point, but from a bandwidth point, that person now can take over that entire other little, little facet of a role that, that maybe was in the original description or in your original idea for that role. But, but because of how they're coming in, perhaps it was not the right fit at that right moment. Um, but I think that idea of beyond the resume, I think uh, trying to understand um, a person and their, and their intentions and their desire for growth and their, and their innate sense of curiosity, if they have that, if they want to grow, if they're not just looking to get into a job because they need a paycheck and they're really happy just sort of coasting along, um, I mean, isn't that the kind of person you would want in your company anyway, not just to get the work done, but to set an example for, and, and to be part of your culture, to build a, a exactly. space where people are thriving, uh, you know, striving to thrive. They are constantly looking for that next, that next level up. So I, I think it is a, it is a um, kind of a precarious thing to, to try to do. And especially if it's an organization that doesn't have that level of flexibility, but um, I've been very lucky in, in some of the organizations that I have worked in where, uh, again, because my resume maybe wasn't so cut and dry, I come in and they go, oh, okay, yes, we want you to do 90% of what was on here, but here's this other side project that you would probably be great for. Why don't you take on that and then follow this other person doing this other thing and eventually you can take that thing on too. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I don't know if it looks like I have a couple things to say, and I'm trying to juggle them in my head because my ADD is kicking in here. So follow with me, hopefully. Uh, so I don't know if it looks like, you know, I, and I've tossed this around a bit. So again, in real time here for maybe for another 90 seconds, give me give me some feedback here on how, how this could show up. I don't know if it looks like, so for instance, um, when I applied to be ahead of people um, for the first time, there was a company, and I can't remember the name, but they actually had, they actually had like a link and I clicked it and essentially, I don't know what the exact copy was, but essentially it stated, essentially it was like, who are you skill-wise, interest-wise, curiosity-wise, 
outside of the specs of this role that we're hiring you for, essentially. And, and, and they gave you an option to send over an audio link. They gave you an option to send over a video of yourself talking about these things, or they sent you an option of creating like a 500 word, 300 word, couple paragraph, like outline, or even bullet points going into these specs. And that's where the initial idea came, like literally five years ago. That's where that initial idea behind resume came. And I was like, ooh, that's so interesting because if someone can send that, if I'm on the other side of this as, a, as an executive in the organization, you know what I'm doing? Even before that person comes into the interview, what I'm doing is I'm taking that information and I'm bringing that up within the interview. And then if I actually end up hiring that person or whoever I'm hiring, because this is going to be the same thing I do for everyone. Remember, it's operationally. This is going to be the same process for everyone. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be able to take that. And like you said, I'm going to be able to tailor the role conducive to that extra information that I now have. And so my IDP plan, my career mapping plan, my intentional progression plan for that individual over the next 6, 12, 18 months is going to be so intentional and so thoughtful. And you and I both know the engagement of that person is going to be through the freaking roof because, and you know this, 99% of companies are not even, 99% of companies listening to this right now are probably thinking that we're crazy for even spending time doing that. Because here's the other side of the coin, Charlotte. And I would love to get your thoughts on what I just said and then the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the following. Charlotte, why would we even do this? We can just hire someone that can fit and accomplish and execute 100% of what we're doing here and save ourselves the time, the energy. We just need someone to get in here and do the job. We don't have time playing this game. What are your thoughts on both of those examples? And really, what are your thoughts on the other side of the coin I just gave? Yeah, I'll actually start with the with the latter. Um, Please. My probably my my least favorite thing anyone ever says ever in the history of ever is this is the way we've always <laughs> done it, or <laughs> well historically we have done, um, because I think that's garbage, and I think that uh, that that is why companies start to fail and become stale. Um, I think, you know, I mean, I could get, you know, all ridiculous philosophical, but like looking at the world, you have to evolve. Um, and if you do not evolve and keep up with the times, you're going to become extinct quite literally. If you are not prepared, if you're not equipped to, to keep up with changes in, in, work in this example, um, you know, people aren't going to want to work for you. Uh, if you do things the same way they've been done forever, as new talent comes up and, and understands that there are opportunities out there that are exciting and progressive and, and focused on them as an individual, they're not even going to seek you out as a company they want to work for. They're going to they're going to bypass you. They're not even going to give you the chance to, to, to push their resume aside. They're not even going to apply to your company. Um, my father-in-law is like a 30, 40 year old HR professional. And he and I get into fascinating conversations about uh, approaches because he's a, he's a very traditionally minded guy. I actually, he, a couple of years ago um, did some, some side work for a startup. And it was some of the, the most exciting conversations we've had because I think he really, um, I don't know, got, got, got kind of turned on to this idea that, that things could be new and different and that there were, there were other ways to handle things. Um, 
But uh, going back to the to the why would you um, you know why in, in in heaven's name would we would we think about not just sticking to the to the letter on on a job description and finding that exact person? Um, I first don't believe that any job description there is an exact person. Um, so I think you have to be flexible to begin with. Um, hey, Charlotte. Yeah. I'm so sorry to me to cut you off because you're on a roll here. Go and ahead. Let's just, and, let, and let's just call it out here. I, if you can tell my energy, I'm I kind of I'm a no BS guy. Yeah. Let's just call it out here. Most of these companies out here, and for this podcast, there's a lot of startups, young founders listening. Most of you guys are just going on LinkedIn and other job and job boards and just copying and pasting a a a, a, a job title. So you're going, you're typing in marketing assistant, you're looking at other companies, you just copying and pasting and maybe changing a bit of copy. Let's just call it what it is. So you really don't even know actually what you want contextual to your own brand. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I was thinking about that this morning rude. that, yeah, no, I think there's, I, I, it's so funny sometimes to look up a, a, a startup and I can almost tell right away if they have a really cool culture because they give people titles that obviously fit the, the not just the role that that person is filling, which can be you know, dynamic and, and interesting and varied, but it, it obviously fits that person. I think if, I think more and more organizations are willing to be a little bit playful in that area. Um, I wanted to, to, to tell you just an anecdotal thing that I heard once, which, which has stayed with me. And, and though it is this, the story is related to music, I think it applies to, to business, but, um, I heard a story once that Stevie Wonder, when auditioning people to be in his band or be um, be backup singers, I would imagine also the same for for opening artists um, for his for his shows. Uh, he would only bring on people that that made him emote. That when uh, they auditioned for him, they moved him um, to tears or to laughter. Um, if you, anyone listening, is a, a, a music geek like I am, music can do that to you. And um, that is that is what I heard about him. That he would not bring someone on unless they fit essentially the culture he was cultivating uh, within his within his crew, within his band, within his his musical sphere. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're speaking to is this idea that someone has to mesh with the culture. Someone has to come prepared to join this ever changing and, and flowing amoeba of of you know. Uh, joint people who are who are striving for the same thing, but you know, as people come and go, companies change, and the personality of them changes. And whether that's um, based on the the ages or the where people are geographically located, or you know, their personal or professional backgrounds, uh, a company's culture and a company's personality is going to change based on those folks. And so, I think it's I think there's a, a lot more of a movement now of finding people who who fit that or can help uh, enhance that culture, um, you know? And so when I've done interviews, uh, I love that idea of sending in kind of a, a personal essay almost of like, you know, forget just your, your, the bullet points on your resume. Like, who are you as a person? What kind of work ethic do you have? I, I, I know there's this, uh, you know, 10 things that require zero talent. It's this list of things that some people like to argue against um, because, you know, I don't know that these things require talent, but they require effort. Um, but like being on time, um, body language, being prepared, uh, being coachable, I think is such a huge thing. Um, 
you know, which again is that vulnerability thing, being, being willing to come in and say, I don't know how to do that, but I'd like to. And if you're willing to take the time on me, it will pay off. Um, and so I think that, that that is, again, kind of the advice I would, I would send out to people is, of course, have that, you have things that need to get done. At the end of the day, there's a bottom line and there's a job to be done. But if there is an iota of flexibility within that role, within your organization, that you can bring someone on that you believe holistically, which again is, I just love that word, like looking at the entire person, if they as an entire human being are gonna contribute uh, exponentially uh, more than just, you know, the average human that's just gonna fit the bill on, on the job description, why wouldn't you spend a little extra time developing them and, and bringing them in and, and supporting them, um, you know, and, and not just for your company, but for the greater good, <laughs> like again, not to get philosophical, but no. it, that doesn't mean that they're gonna stay with you forever. How exciting is it when you have helped someone grow uh, in a way that they didn't even imagine and then they get to spread their wings and go do something great for the next organization. And, and that is beneficial for everyone. That, that is help, that is a whole circle of professional life right there. And, and Charlotte, let, let me jump. Let me jump on that bandwagon there, and let me give a couple examples to, to some of the founders or, or executives or anyone that's listening. Because let me paint the picture of how real life works around what 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 you were just saying, Charlotte. This is how real life works, right? Um, number one, wake up and realize and, and appreciate the value and the holistic human just just doing this because it's the right thing to do, right? Like whether you believe in God or Allah, like we don't need to get too, you know, uh, too too spiritual here because everyone has their different beliefs. But whatever you believe in, whatever you even don't believe in, I I think we all can agree there's something energetic happening in the world where you do the right things, good things happen, right? And so, if you're a CEO of a company, if you're an executive of a company, and you're genuinely caring about the holistic person, and you're putting true policies and true processes and true best practices in place to support that whole human you don't think that person after six months or 12 months or 18 months or three years when they leave that that organization your organization or you don't think when they go home after six months of working at your company and, and they're speaking to their to their partner or their friends or or even other colleagues from other former companies you don't think they're going to rant and rave and, and appreciate what you guys have created for them you do you know what type of good that's going to do for your company from an employer branding perspective from a, from a recruiting perspective that you do not need to come out of your pocket for. You know how many like individuals are going to be coming to your organization went, wishing and wanting to be a part of your a part of your circles and a part of your organization again that you did not need to come out of pocket for. That's just one benefit. And then I tell people all the time, Charlotte, like, you know, people that listen to this podcast all the time, they know me. I, I'm not a guy that started, you know, uh, I started my career in, in the leadership space. I started building brands. And so the, the bottom line impact, everything we're talking about is incredibly significant. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that to, to kind of close the book on this, this part of it, but uh, there's a lot of good that can happen from a pure business perspective that I think a lot of CEOs and founders and executives just need to, need to be a little bit more aware of. Yeah. You know, I, I read an interesting um, study several years ago that, that spoke to, um, what millennials look for in, in, in the workplace. And I mean, 
I am on the cusp of being millennial. I don't really like to own it just because of what people, you know, fling at us in terms of, of the kind of people we are. Um, but, but it spoke to that. Um, it was, it was around, uh, I guess, 2000, maybe 14. Uh, and that recent grads when interviewed said they would take up to a 20% pay cut to find a culture that supported and understood and respected them. And not to say that we should be cutting what people are worth, uh, you know, but in the long run, it creates stickiness by investing in people, by, by uh, trying to find a space that, that is carved out for that actual individual and not an ill-fitting jacket for them. Um, you know, because if it's, if it's not a good fit and you try to force it, it's gonna cost you money in the long run because uh, employee turnover is costly. And so why not find a little niche for the person that you jive with, that, that feels like the right fit that you think you can grow with uh, rather than trying to force something because someone had a bullet point on a resume that you felt like you absolutely were looking for. Exactly, exactly. Um I have a couple more questions here and then I'll get you out of here because this yeah. has been this has been really interesting. Um how how willing are you to be vulnerable? Pretty willing. Pretty okay. willing. Let's see. Let's see. Because I, I always I, I like to put people on the spot here. Okay. Um, um so are you familiar with my first million, the podcast? I'm not. I'm I'm gonna here's a, a moment of vulnerability for being in the startup space. I have done very little, uh, you know, of the reading every single startup book, and and I don't do a lot of the listening to the startup podcasts. I listen. No I'm a I'm a weird history nerd. I listen to a lot of history podcasts. I listen to a lot of political podcasts. Interesting. Yeah, I listen to Ninety Nine Percent Invisible. Quick plug for that one. I love Ninety Nine PI. That that is fascinating. That is like the big worldview kind of stuff that I love to talk about. Just as an as a side. No worries. Tell me about your first million. My, yeah, my first million. My is, first uh, million. No, no, no worries. And and I'm sure some of the entrepreneurs within 1776 have probably listened. I'm to sure they it, have. Yeah. Um. Essentially, it's just a podcast with a guy by the name of Sam Parr. I can't pronounce the other guy's name. Um. Uh, but uh, they just talk about ideas all the time. And the point of the 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 podcast is to, uh, they both are very vulnerable. So they bring up problems and, and situations that they're trying to solve in their businesses in real time. And they both kind of riff on them. And then they bring on guests in real time to break down those ideas and problems. And so the listener can hear like frameworks and ways of thinking and, and processes. And like, it's it's the most fascinating podcast because it doesn't do the traditional Hey, you know, I started this company that got five million dollar in ARR, and then like the whole traditional startup thing. It kind of gets more into like rifting on genuine problems, and so um, I try to have like a little segment in each one of my my episodes where I bring on guests, where it's like, hey, hey, Charlotte, in real time right now, as a chief of staff, and 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 and, and a lot of people don't know this, and tell me if you agree, actually, before I even ask the question. Would you admit that there's a lot of similarities between the chief of staff and head of people role? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. A lot of people think it's a lot different. I actually find them to be incredibly similar. Yeah. I, what, let's stick on that for a minute. What would you say the similarities are? Because I think, I think actually a lot of founders that are, that are moving from the 
50, 70, 100, 200 employee range could find value in that? What do you think the differences and the similarities are? So for me, um, I really look at my chief of staff role uh, in, in sort of a direct comparison. I don't know if you uh, have ever watched West Wing. Um, mm, yes. I, I really, um, I look at Leo McGarry and I, and I really uh, try to kind of play to that. Essentially the idea of like, nothing goes to the president's desk without passing my eyes and I get to stop it if it's not going to be worth their time. So our CEO, Jen, is a, a pretty extraordinary human being and um, an, an incredible example of servant leadership, um, particularly in that she is willing at any moment of any day to do whatever job needs to be done. Um, but sometimes that that is distracting. That is maybe her time is, is not being uh, best utilized because of some, you know, silly banana head thing that came up, which happens everywhere. Um, and so for me, it's about learning the personalities that we have on the team and learning how to help them uh, communicate problems um, with a solutions-oriented mindset uh, and bringing something to me first that then maybe we can tighten up a little bit before it's presented to Jen. Um, and, and managing not just some of the problems that they might be having or the tasks, the, the, the barriers they might be having in their tasks. But uh, again, it's, it's about them as people. And, and if they are not meeting certain goals, I don't want Jen to have to have that conversation or, or talk to that, to that person. I want to be able to sit down and human to human say, what's going on? How can we help? You know, what, what do we need to do right now to make you the successful person I know you can be? Um, we have a, a team member who uh, has significant ADHD um, and has been powering through it like a champion, um, particularly during this time when we are all uh, primarily at home and have a million distractions around us and don't have that energy of, of fellow teammates around us, you know, and we have sat down and said, okay, what works and what doesn't? And, and maybe let's mm. create new systems that work for you. Because at the end of the day, I'm not gonna let you off the hook of getting your job done, but it doesn't mean that you have to do it the same way we've always been doing it. Again, I, I'm not down with the, well, we've always done it this way. And so we- Hey, have Charlotte. Called, yeah, go ahead. I'm so sorry, I have to interrupt you on that. Get in Did there. you hear my comment on me having ADD? That actually wasn't yeah. like, the joke that a lot of people play. No, I, I know it's a serious I, thing. I, 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 I took I, I took Concerto from eight till 19. Yeah. Um, and so it's a real thing. And so I, I needed to jump in there. Number one, I, I love you and thank you so much for that. Because people, <laughs> number one, a couple, couple of things. I'm so, I'm so sorry to cut you off because I know you're on the road, but I have to jump in here on this one. Number one, tip to every single founder, leader listening. It is your job, in my personal opinion, to do macro, I don't need you to dive deep in and, and, and turn yourself into a pure, you know, neuroscience psychologist, but yeah. I do believe it is your job as a leader to understand at a macro level of the way the brain works and all the different complexities that happen within those that you are inevitably leading. Because if you understand at a macro level about ADHD or ADD or any other mental uh, complexity that may uh, affect someone's way of executing work. If you understand it, what you then have, which I think you would agree, is empathy. 
And yes. then with that empathy turns into strategically, and again, I keep bringing that word up operationally, what I love that you said is, and I'm gonna pass it back to you to tell me what you actually did, is I talk to leaders all, all the time about adjusting workflows con, con, and, and being contextual to the employee's skill set and way of working. Every employee, I believe, unless they're just completely not engaged or they've completely checked out, every employee has an ability to execute at an A level, conducive to the way they go about executing at an A level. And I believe it is only organization to figure out what that looks like and to react contextually to that. So yeah, I think I'm gonna I, pass I, the mic back to you and tell me how you guys did that for this individual. Yeah, um, and you know, I think at at its core, it's about letting your team, letting those individual team members know that they're seen, that they're mm -hmm. not just lemmings and and on this, you know, hamster wheel, robot, android, ridiculous thing that that so often work can become. That they are individuals with with individual needs and and complex. Uh, uh, you know, human makeup, um, and and not just ADD and ADHD. I'm talking about anxiety. I'm talking about uh, yep. uh, you know d different fears of 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 failure, um, yep. of imposter complex. Oh boy, we could talk about the imposter complex. Yep. Um, but so for this individual. Um, you know, we had, a, we had a pretty real heart to heart. We've had a couple of them um, because there's ebbs and flows to uh, particularly when it comes to mental health, when it comes to mental complexities for people, mm -hmm. um, you know, there are really awesome days and weeks and months and there are some really tough ones. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, as I was telling you before we, before we hit play, I love cold weather. This doesn't stress me out, but I know people who go into very, very dark places and have really substantial seasonal depression um, mm. and they need alterations to be made to their to their day to day. Bottom line, are they doing their work? It doesn't need to be on my schedule. It needs to be on my my uh, our agreed deadlines. But if they get something done at 2 a.m. and it is due at 9 a.m. the next day and it is completed to the to the, you know, uh, standards that I asked them. I don't care if they did it at 2 a.m. Good for you. Neat that you can do that. I'm asleep at 2 a.m. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm not going to push someone into a box of saying you have to work at this time and you have to accomplish it in this way. I'm going to say, here's what I need done. Can you do that thing? What resources do you need to do that thing? Okay, go. And then after it's done, if it wasn't done to the way that we had agreed, we reflect and we iterate and we, we make a change. So for this person, it had to do with finding the pockets of time that they were most productive and the pockets of time that they just needed a brain break or, or hit a wall. Um, and so we did it kind of twofold. The first was that we uh, went through their, their recurring task list and said about how long do each of these things take? So drafting this memo or, or, or writing up this, uh, you know, this, this uh, engagement um, uh, form for, for our members or whatever it might be, um, you know, how long do those things take? And then we kind of parsed out time in the week and said, all right, apply that here, you know, block out time on your calendar. You don't have to be available all the time. Block out three hours and say, that's your email time. Don't look at your email any other time during the day. We, I, this thing that people have gotten into that we somehow think we are productive because we're constantly available or, or that we are good employees mm -hmm. because we're available 24 seven, I think is nonsense. I am about setting those boundaries and saying, 
after 5 30 6 o'clock p.m you don't get my time i am a person who has other needs and other things going on in my life my mm -hmm. family lives on the west coast and so there are times during the day where i can only catch them because we're in in different time zones and so you don't get to have me during that time um and so with this person we, we first kind of carved out okay what time do you need to get your job done uh, and then secondly, they actually took the initiative and started tracking literally every day. And they've been doing this for over a month now, um, would sit down and start doing a task and, and mark the, the timestamp would say, okay, at 412 today, I started doing X. And then as soon as it became either they accomplished it or they hit their, you know, the, the, the milestone or the, the level of completion that they needed to, or if they hit a wall and it became that they, they couldn't get something else done because they needed help or a resource or because ADHD kicked in or whatever, or you know, know that they wall. needed a bio yep. break, whatever, they would mark that down on the timestamp. And they've now discovered these extraordinary trends in their days and weeks where they recognize that that on Thursdays at the location that they are that they are managing there are fewer members on campus and so that is an, an exponentially more productive day and so they might carve out on Thursdays that that's when they get bigger projects done because they can sit down and focus for longer periods of time without being interrupted um, mm. they recognize that Fridays and Mondays are really really hard Mondays in particular getting back into the groove after a weekend and so I know not to schedule things with them prior to 11 a.m. on a Monday. I just don't do yep. it because it's not going to be productive. There's probably going to be some crankiness from both of us. And that's not fun. And that's not the culture that I'm trying to cultivate at our organization. So um, it. it, and again, it's going back to that, how the chief of staff is is like a people, is, is people management as well. You can't, I don't think you can manage people if you don't know the people. Yep. Uh, and so there is something to be said about empathy, about getting to know. And I, I will say though, Anthony, it's a it's such an interesting and fine line because I can honestly say that I love all of my teammates uh, with, you know, there are whatever, seven definitions of love, but at some level, I have a love for each of those people because they are good people, because we've gotten to know each other on a personal level and because they work hard. And, and that is, a, a, if nothing else, a level of love respect for them. Um, but that can become complicated when you need to set those um, expectations. And so um, again, I, I spoke to on my, uh, in my, in my background, the, the principal I worked for at Harlem Village Academies, Jason Epting, um, he would say multiple times a week, the environment he was creating at that middle school was a strict but warm environment. And he would say it all the time. He would tell teachers, he would tell parents, he would tell the kids, this is what I expect, but I love you. And yep. his students, would do anything for him because they knew that he was not, that wasn't a lie. He, he had extraordinary expectations for those kids, but he loved them deeply and he forgave if they misstep or if they, if they stumbled or if they didn't meet a goal, there would be opportunity to reflect and, and talk about what got in the way and how they could do better next time. Um, and so I've really taken that to heart and that's been something I've tried to apply as I've, as I've become a leader in organizations is saying to my team, I'm going to hold you to very high standards. I'm, I'm going to expect big things, especially on a really small team where we're all having to do so much all the time, yep. but I'm also going to be 
understanding that you're a person and that things happen and that, you know, uh, this same person uh, had a family member get very sick in the fall, but also early in the year, their their sister um, welcomed the first uh, the first baby into their family. Yep. Um, and so wonderful and terrible things happen in people's lives, and we have to appreciate that that affects who they are and 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 what they're going to be able to do uh, as an employee and by allowing for that and, and allowing for, for flexibility in those spaces of, of being a human, um, I think creates trust, like extraordinary trust, deep trust between people and creates stickiness um, that, that even if it is time to leave that company, um, that person has, a, has an appreciation for, for the time they spent there because you cared about them and you saw them. Exactly. Hey, Charlotte, this has been uh, this has been amazing. I'm going to say two last things and then I'll get you out of here. Uh, the first is uh, I couldn't agree more with that. Too many people. And, and I had a lot of trouble with this as I was ahead of people for the last five years in a, in a couple of companies. I, I had um, I had uh, two different bosses often push very aggressively against me saying, you, you, you know, you keep saying this E1 employee first perspective, and I always have to explain to them, you know, when I say employee first, I do not mean coddle. When what you think coddling is, is what I think having strategic empathy and really, really, really trying to understand someone so that I can create expectations and I can create true understandings and I can create true moments of, of clarity between uh, that employee and I, and so that we can create that moment where I can hold them accountable and I can be clear. But where you yeah. think I'm coddling is me going a little bit deeper than your typical leader typically would uh, to create that context. And I call it emotional glue. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing I'll say to you, Charlotte, is um, you don't have to give me an answer now. I don't think there's any way you could, but um, I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm very surprised in this podcast. I, I didn't know what to expect and I don't want you to take that the wrong way I just uh we had a really brief conversation for a while that was great um but I didn't know too much else about you typically with a lot yeah. of my guests I'm not typically uh I, I typically am not bringing on folks that were introduced to me I typically go deep myself into the background and then ask them to be on and so I just want to give you an ad hoc introduction now and once I edit this podcast and send you over the final episode. Uh, I want to schedule another meeting to talk more about this. But um, with Startup EX, my company, um, it's it's structured where I have collective partners, mm -hmm. and so we're not like your traditional collective, like a Gallup or a Deloitte, where there's fifty or sixty or hundreds of different consultants. We are a set, which will be in hopefully a set ten. Right now, we're at a set six, and. Uh, uh, I would love to really understand the areas of this world that you really are a complete rock star in. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if 1776 allows you or are comfortable with you doing side work and side opportunities, but I would love to, to bring you into at least having conversations about you being within the collective. Um, there's really no other responsibility besides showing up on a podcast once a month and just being available with your schedule to accept opportunities to make a little extra money which is always nice but more importantly than that to to be a to be a core 10 people that are dedicated to the world of startups and are dedicated to the world of employee experience and and we're really like a family right so it's a core yeah. 10 it will not be beyond that 
And uh, I just wanted to give you that ad hoc. I mean, well, I'm, I'm, Anthony, I'm, I'm honored to be to that, that you would consider that even after, uh, you know, to, to one brief phone call in this and this delightful conversation we've had. I, I, I love talking about people. I, I'm fascinated by them. I, I, I would be delighted to, at the very least, uh, talk to you and your collective and, and, and you know, provide uh, further avenues of conversation and stuff. So absolutely, let's, let's, let's pick up that thread and, and see where it might go. Um, this, has been, this has been delightful. Um, uh, yeah, again, I think, you know, as sort of just my closing button, I just think the world is changing. I think COVID, if anything, has, has taught us that people are resilient, um, but that resilience can only come from having access to uh, support systems and being seen and, and feeling uh, you know, like, like they're understood. I think people can really, can really power through stuff um, if they have some kind of community behind them. Uh, and, and that work can be very flexible if given the opportunity. Um, and so I hope that, that folks listening, if, if that's sort of the, the world they're in, managing people and, and managing teams, I hope that they, they look for ways to uh, create flexibility and create support systems, because um, I think it pays off in dividends in terms of creating really incredibly productive and, and well-rounded and awesome human beings and develop, developing them to be even, even better than they ever thought they could be. Beautiful. And right before we let you go, um, give us a quick plug on 1776 or yeah. a quick plug on anything that you personally are working on. Sure. So 1776, again, uh, a, a nationwide network of incubators. We've got spaces up and down the East Coast and soon in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, that location will be opening March 1st. Um, at our core, we believe that anyone with the entrepreneurial spirit should have access to the resources they need to grow and scale a company. Um, and and uh, we, really, we really try to provide those resources um, recently, uh, almost entirely free. Um, while obviously we have membership dues, uh, most of our programming, our growth programming um, has been offered free um, virtually, really hoping to uh, invest in the uh, economic redevelopment of our the regions we serve and, and the nation as a whole. Um, you know, our nation was built on entrepreneurship and, and we think that if we can invest in small businesses in, in the way that we do, uh, hopefully we can all come out of this bigger and stronger and, and, and uh, better for it. Um, and then one other plug I will say actually is a uh, I will call it a collective as well, but is, is, is also very aligned with some of the stuff we've been talking about today, um, is a, a group called Work Forward, um, something my dad coined, actually. He's a very brilliant human being. Um, oh, yeah, and it's that's a, right. A, yeah, a group of people who are looking to create a community that can support um, organizations uh, who are wanting to, to initiate those, those flexible ways of working that people can work when and how and where they need to. And that often creates the most productive kind of people by providing that flexibility, by providing those um, progressive ways of, of being an employee, being a, a, a member of a, of a team um, that you actually can get um, 
higher outcomes. Uh, so workforward.co is where you can learn more about that. We have quarterly meetings where we share um, some of the tools you can apply to your work. Um, and 1776.vc, uh, if you're interested in our events, it's forward slash events, programs happening all the time to help you find talent, uh, find capital, just find connections to help you grow and scale. So looking forward to connecting with uh, you know, everyone out there in the listening sphere and looking forward to connecting with you again, Anthony. This has been great. Perfect. Thank you so much. And make sure you, uh, and I know you mentioned this probably after we were done recording this. Let, let's let's definitely, two things. We're going to set another meeting once yeah. I get this edited. And then, yeah, definitely give me an intro, intro to your dad. I would love to dive deeper into that because I, I want to help. I remember you mentioning what I what I like to be a part of that somehow. So um, I'm interested in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony. Talk soon. Talk soon. Bye-bye.